Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Wow. I, Sarah and I were chatting on the way in today. I wonder how many people are going to come out on New Year's Day. And uh, I have to say, my faith was small. <laughs> you exceeded it, so thank you for that. That's wonderful. And uh, yeah, amen. Let's give, give yourself a round of applause. Knowing that your house is going to be that much bigger in heaven. No, that's not how it works. We don't, we don't believe in that kind of thing. We joke about it, but we don't believe in it. Let me read some scripture to you. Uh, we, we haven't found the clicker to, to do the slides, so this is not going to appear on, your, on the screen. So if you have your uh, device or the Bible in front of you, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. And uh, we're going to work through this passage in just a few minutes, but it is not, this isn't the one. We're not there yet. This is what it's going to be like all the way through now, because I'm not, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And if you're online, I don't even know whether you see the screen behind me, so who knows what's going to, what's going to happen. So let me, read, let me read Mark chapter 10, and uh, then we're going to work through it bit by bit. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and it's they, the disciples and Jesus, came to Jericho, And as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man to him, saying, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And we thank God for his incredible word. We got into a habit at the south of standing whenever we read the word of God. We give honor to so many things in our culture by standing, whether it be the national anthem or somebody uh, in retirement or somebody, and I just think, you know, it's a good thing to stand in honor of the word of God. So I did it on your behalf this morning. Um, grateful for his word. Before we uh, get into this scripture, I have a, uh, a, uh, a question for you. Uh, this is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, it's a point of confession and transparency. You may or may not know or be able to tell that I have, in fact, had cosmetic surgery. I'll just stand here for a while as you scan. That's a vulnerable place that I put myself in, but it is true. In Britain, at least, this is classed as cosmetic surgery. I'm not sure whether it is in, uh, in Canada, uh, and I'm sure that I'll have many emails. Please don't. Um, telling me whether it's not, it's true. But the cosmetic surgery that I have had is uh, laser eye surgery. It is actually classed as cosmetic surgery in the UK. It happened about 22 years ago. I've still got fantastic vision. I am a great uh, proponent of doing it. Um, And so everything that I'm about to say, please say, no, it is well worth it. But I remember the day that I had laser eye surgery. I remember it vividly. I was, uh, I was a teacher at the time. I was teaching a lot of uh, gym and PE, going outside, teaching rugby and, and football, proper football. Um, and, 
I was, uh, and I was finding my glasses were always steaming up as I was coming in. The kids were making fun of me. It was upsetting. It's not good when you're bullied by a class of grade six kids. Um, but I thought, you know, I'm not doing this. And so I wore contact lenses. And then they got to the place where they said contact lenses is not good for your eye because 22 years ago, cosmetic lenses were made out of lead, I guess. I don't know. Um, so I decided that I was going to wear, I was going to get this LASIK eye surgery. And so the day came, and I remember vividly, please don't let this put you off. But I remember them putting drops in my eye, and then what looked like the surgeon came at me with what looked like a pen at my eye. And I had, and, the, and my eyes, you kind of clamped open, sorry. Um, and then he pressed my eye. And I actually saw my eye kind of collapse in on itself like cellophane, all wrinkled into wherever he was pressing. And then he said, oh, yeah, that's numb. I'm like, hang on a minute. What happens if it wasn't numb when you attacked me with your pen? What looked like a pen. I'm pretty sure it was a sterile instrument of some kind. So then I'm on the table, and they do the lasering, and it didn't hurt at all. The only unpleasant thing that I remember, buckle up, was the smell of my own burning flesh. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. That's what I could smell. And it went, and then I got all bandaged up, and I came out. And then over the coming days, my vision just started to crystallize and form to the point where I could see colors and things like my wife became even more beautiful overnight. It was, it was just amazing. Like I, I remember I went from foggy glasses to like feeling for my glasses at the side of my table in the morning and putting them on to being able to open my eyes and actually see colors, what felt like for the first time. It was unbelievable. And I have to say, 22 years later, I should get some sort of promotional amount of money, I guess, for the surgeons for this. But 22 years later, I've still got better than 2020 vision. It's still something I'm grateful for. But you did notice I had to wear glasses to read. Yes, because, you know, age catches up with you and gravity always wins. doesn't stop you reading glasses. But to be able to see is one of the most beautiful memories that I have. I knew I was short-sighted. It would have been odd for me to pretend I wasn't short-sighted, blundering around the place, bumping into stuff, you know, reaching out for a table and missing, driving into things. That would have been really, really stupid, dumb. Let's be honest, foolish. I knew I was short-sighted. I knew that I needed my sight correcting. I knew that, my, that I had blind spots that needed sorting out. And I wonder, as we look into, with vision, into 2023, I wonder whether we have blind spots. And I want to suggest to you that we do. We all have areas of our lives where we just don't see what the reality actually is. A couple of psychologists about 50, 60 years ago developed this uh, psychological tool called Jahari's Window. And I'm going to show, I'm not going to go into it in great detail, so we're going to show it. You can look into it yourself. This is a well-known leadership and management tool, and it can be used organizationally, it can be used personally. But the thing that I want you to notice with this is this, these are different sections of our lives. So there's things that are, we know about ourselves that everybody knows about us. It's just obvious. Then there are things that we know about ourselves that no one else knows. Those are hidden. Those are the secrets. Maybe they're the things that 
we feel some shame and guilt over, things that we've said or done or things that have been said or done to us. Then there's the things that we don't know yet. And I often say in my job, in, as we're working, as in our calling, we just don't know what we don't know yet. Grateful that God does, but I don't know what this year is going to bring. And it's foolish for us to think that we have such a hold. This is why I prayed, Lord, we depend on you, because there's things we just don't know yet. The scary window is the top right one. The things that other people know about you that you don't know about yourself. Those are the blind spots. Those are the things that people observe that you just don't see. And can I tell you, we all have them. We all have those spots. The question is, is what do we do about those things? Now, hopefully, we have loved ones in our lives that very gently and lovingly, Sarah, point those blind spots out to us, maybe on more than, more than a few times a day. Like if the dishwasher is full of dirty dishes, feel free to put a dish in there after you use it. It's a blind spot. I don't know. I'm confessing it in front of you. It's just an added bit of the equation I haven't quite gotten hold of yet, and Lord willing, 2023, I'll be there, love. But those blind spots, and, and those are fun blind spots, kind of. But then there are also blind spots like, are you, is it selfishness? Is it the way you react to people? Is it the way that I'm indifferent to certain people? That I just don't see it in myself? Is it pride? Is it unforgiveness? These elements in our life, these blind spots, that we can't just go to get laser eye surgery to correct. You can't just go to Indigo self-help section and, chat, uh, and buy a book and, and be sorted. These are heart issues. These are blind spots of the heart that we need help with. And no amount of self-help or, or podcasts or positive speech or writing in our journals or anything like that. As we look into 2023, these blind spots are, are blind spots in our vision that we really do need correcting. And sometimes it's unpleasant. The Bible, as we read this chapter in Mark chapter 10, it has a habit, the Bible, I find, that the older that I get and the more that I read it, that it tends to read me more than I read it. And as I'm reading this passage that we're going to look at very briefly, and with so much in it, and I'm going to work through it quite quickly, that as I read this passage, what I see is that I'm Bartimaeus. I want to suggest to you this morning that you too are Bartimaeus, regardless of your age, your station in life, your socioeconomic place, your view, your political, whether you're more progressive, uh, whether you're conservative, it doesn't matter. I want to suggest to you that you, like me, are Bartimaeus. And we have the same needs as Bartimaeus, that he sat and he was blind. Now, he was physically blind. We're going to look at the consequences of that in his life in just a second. But there's so much that resonates with Bartimaeus to me. And I want to suggest lovingly to you. So let's look at the first verse. But they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd. The first thing I want you to notice is there was a large crowd following Jesus. That They, they were straining to see 
and perhaps touch the one called Jesus. Our culture is exactly the same. People are straining to touch the one and see the one called Jesus. They may not know his name yet, but everything that Jesus offers, everything that Jesus has for us as humans is something that we in humanity have in common. We strain towards that which Jesus can offer, that he says is the kingdom of God, that he comes with. We want, and I've said this many times, and I love quoting the the author Mark Sayers, that we want the kingdom, we want everything that Jesus has, but without the king. So the crowds are thronging around Jesus, this construction worker who doesn't seem to care what the authorities think, and yet they've heard that he claims to forgive sin. He heals those that are the unhealable. They strain around him, desperate for answers, desperate for freedom, desperate for relief. That's how I know that the culture then in Jericho is exactly the same as the culture now in Kelowna. Freedom. They want freedom, they want answers, they want relief, especially now. In a particularly difficult and dark time of our history, we strain for those things that Jesus offers us. They came to Jericho and Jesus and the disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road begging. It's very hard in our culture to want nothing like cold coffee when you're preaching. Wonderful. (laughs) Um, It's very hard for us to understand culturally what it meant for somebody like Bartimaeus at that time. You, uh, we, we all experience some kind of, when, when people who are experiencing homelessness perhaps are on the street and they're asking for money. This, and maybe you've been to a third world country where there is a whole economy wrapped around of people of great need out on the streets asking for money. And that is the best way to look and think about Bartimaeus. What's actually very revealing is what his name means. So next slide says this, that that son of Timaeus actually means son of the unclean, the contaminated, the defiled, the impure, the polluted, the infamous, and the profaned. Imagine every time you hear your name, that is being declared over you. Every time you hear your name. Now, my mom and dad are in the congregation. I say this, I love my mom and dad very, very much. But there was a time when I really didn't like my name, Glenn. Um, Because my, and I'll say this is such a confession. I've said it before in the pulpit, and I just feel that I need to keep on saying it. But I was named after Glenn Campbell. See, the ones of a certain age giggle. Other ones in there are like, who's Glenn Campbell? The rhinestone cowboy himself. And Glenn means valley. It means valley. I, and, and, you know, now that I know a little bit more of scripture, I read Gideon, man of valor, Gideon. Glenn, it's just, you know, and then you've got the sons of thunder. But then you've got Bartimaeus, son of the unclean. This was a mark of his life that he was defiled. This isn't just a name This is actual truth for him. That's how he sees himself. In fact, in that time, it was now part of like his, his, not just his his inner uh, working as to how he sees himself, but it's also how other people see him. 
His whole life would have been defined by being unclean and judged and shamed. And maybe you can resonate with that. Not, just, not in the way that perhaps in the depth of Bartimaeus, that every time somebody says your name, but you can resonate with the idea of, well, I feel unclean. I feel defiled. I feel contaminated. I feel impure. Maybe you've never put words to it. Maybe even as I'm saying it, there's something that's going off in your mind and your heart when you go, yeah, that's how I feel. I've done something. Nobody knows. It's that hidden window. No one knows. But this is how I feel. I am Bartimaeus. That the people around him would have seen him as one of those kind of people. Maybe you've experienced that. Oh, Bartimaeus, that's the blind guy who begs. And likely he would have looked the part. He probably found it was good for business to look the part, to look like he was in desperate need. And there he sat, his blindness and his history defining his life in a way that perhaps you and I can resonate with. That your life and your history and your name defining your life, your blindness defining your life, your blind spots defining your life. But what does Bartimaeus do? Where do we go to see clearly? Where does Bartimaeus go to see clearly? He doesn't go to the culture. The culture had nothing to offer apart from reinforcing that which he already knew about himself. Think about that. In 2023, all our culture does is reinforce the lies that have been continually told to us since we were very, very young. You're this kind of person. You are not that kind of person. You are not worthy of that. You are unlovable. You're continually rejected. Nobody cares. Nobody thinks about you. Nobody's generous towards you. You, all these lies that resonate within us, if you turn to the culture and all the, all the different instruments that the culture has to offer, all the social media, all it's doing is reinforcing that vision that you have for yourself. And all you hear is Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. What does Bartimaeus do? He starts to yell. I like that. He starts getting loud. You see, Bartimaeus had heard about the miracles and the promises. He'd heard about the demons and the deaf, the dead and the demonized healed. He'd heard all the stories. He longed for the day that he could experience the freedom that which he had heard about. And maybe that's you as well. Maybe you've heard about the freedom. Maybe you've heard about the relief. And you are longing for that to be placed in your life, regardless of your age. I want that. I want that freedom. If you were to ask a good group of Christians, what is the God of the world that is worshipped the most? Those that are most thoughtful, if you come down to it, ultimately, the God, the thing that people long for more than anything in this world is freedom. They want freedom. Freedom to do whatever they want, with whomever they want, whenever they want. Don't project your truth on me. I want complete freedom. And you see, immediately Jesus starts resonating with what we're actually truly wanting in life because the only place where true freedom can be found, deep down, this is why I love my calling as a preacher, because all I need to do is trying to remind you of that which you are already convinced about. Let me say that again. My role is to remind you and point out things that you are already convinced about about yourself. You know that this is true, and you know that everything that the world and the culture offers comes to a sudden end and terminates. 
until something else sparkly comes along and you chase after that. You see, all the roads stop at Jesus because this, this truth that Bartimaeus had heard about, maybe you've heard about, and you long for the day. So the next verse, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of God, have, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a dangerous thing to shout at that culture because it's a political statement. You are declaring something about Jesus, that he is more powerful than the Romans that were in their culture at that time, that you, this literally could get you killed and ultimately did get Jesus killed. He's declaring, Jesus is the Messiah. How do we know that? Well, in Ezekiel 37, 24, these are prophecies that they would have known. The uh, the servant David will be king over them. My servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. Not Rome, not the Pharisees, not the rabbis. Jesus, King Jesus. So he's declaring that Jesus is king. Luke chapter 1, you will conceive and give birth to a son, Mary, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be the son of the most high. Listen, the God will give him the throne of his father, David. You see, Bartimaeus is at a point of his life where he just doesn't care anymore. He's the king. Get me to him. That declaration, that bravery, that courage, that faith, that belief. He started to shout. Many years ago when I was uh, a young teacher and I was training to uh, look towards being in management, administration, we went on uh, a management training weekend and it always fascinated me, it still fascinates me now that if you, at that point, this would have been in the early 90s, mid 90s, that if you want to train somebody to be a manager, then send them on the weekend and make them miserable for a weekend. Like get them to do stuff that they will never do as a teacher. Get them to build a raft out of logs and float around on the Menai Straits in North Wales, well known for killing people. And uh, yeah, get them to float around with the whirlpools that would appear at any moment, and they did. That'll teach them to be a really good principal. I never understood it then. I still don't understand it now. But I do remember one thing that I happened. We went into, the, uh, into Snowdonia in North Wales, where it's just mountains. It's, it's beautiful. We went into the side of a mountain, which used to be an old uh, coal mine. And we walked and walked. There was lights, and we were all like, this is going to be great. And we walked and walked straight into the mountain. Think, like, think of like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Straight into the mountain. I was expected to see uh, a dragon at the end of it or something. This is cool. We must have walked for like three quarters of an hour straight into the mountain, deeper and deeper and deeper. And we were all like, uh-huh, this is great. And then we got to a point where they said, okay, the instructor said, stop. Now I'm going to teach you to be a principal. No, he didn't say that. He went, now. And pff, the lights went off. Instant panic. Like all these, all these trainee manager teachers were all like, <laughs> instantly turned into tiny little children groping around in the darkness, squealing like nine-year-olds because the instant, it's, it's blackness that I can't describe. I don't know if you've ever been in total black where there's no light and you put your hand in front of your face and you cannot see anything. So you just end up closing your eyes because there's no point. Your eyes are straining to see the light. What's the first thing you do when you're in that situation? You reach out. You, you, 
All personal space goes out of the window when you're in pitch black. You just grab whoever happens to be closest. <laughs> and then, once you've found somebody, something else interesting happens. You keep on, this is what I did anyway, because I was a trainee school principal. You grab somebody, then I started reaching for the wall that I knew, because this tunnel was maybe 12 foot wide. Grab somebody, reach for the wall. That's what I did. Found the wall, let go of them, don't need them anymore. Hold on to the wall. And then the guy said, okay, let's start walking to the exit. So now you're shuffling along a wall, learning to be a school principal. Mind you, that's probably a pretty good metaphor for teaching, completely blind and not knowing what you're doing a lot of the time, I don't know. It was an amazing experience, and it stuck with me. Can I tell you what you don't do? Is you don't pretend that the darkness isn't there. Oh, this is still light. What's everybody going on about? Don't worry. There's lots of, lots of answers around us. It's all fine. No, you just reach out. You cry out. You, you reach for the answer. And the reality is this, is when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus had the answer and he was coming by, he cried out. He reached out. He didn't just sit there and just wait. He actually went and did something about it. He started crying out. And can I just disband a total lie of, I believe, in Christianity? Can I, especially if you're young, it, it tends to get chipped away as you get older. Belief is not based on feeling. Belief is based on action. That's why Jesus said, Thomas, why are you doubting? Believe. He actually gave Thomas the option, the choice to believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It is a choice. You can declare it. Read the Psalms if you don't believe me. The Psalms are filled with examples of people crying out. David saying, I believe. I speak to my soul. I speak strength to myself. This is not sin kind of prosperity, mantra, gospel. This is declaring truth. Young people, belief is not based on feelings. If you are waiting for to feel like you should sit and spend time with God, guess what? Not going to happen. Sit time and sit down and spend time with God and you will feel him. Make the declaration, belief is an action, not a feeling. And this is what Bartimaeus does. He has faith and he cries out. This is why Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't then break into the window. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Why? And, th and this kind of throws off some of my more Calvinistic friends. Because you have to actually open the door and let him in. And this is why Jesus constantly and the apostles are, are, are always talking about how we can make decisions. Let this mind be in you. Decide on this. Think this way. Consider this. Don't do this. We have these choices. We have these, we have these abilities to position ourselves in faith, in believing. We have to recognize our need, and then we need to step out. And what is the response? Mark chapter 10, verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Literally, be quiet. It means to shut up. Sorry. You can tell everybody you went to church and on January 1st and the pastor told you to shut up. I didn't tell you to shut up. I'm just quoting the Bible. It literally means that. Stop talking, Bartimaeus. Remember who you are. You think Jesus has got time for you? You really think that? What does Bartimaeus do? It made him louder. What did he know? 
that other people had forgotten. Made him louder. What did he know? In that day, Isaiah 29 says, in that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Bartimaeus knew that. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Bartimaeus would have known that. The others might have forgotten it. He hadn't forgotten it. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because at that point, in that culture, if you were sick and if you were blind, you were a sinner. Remember his name? Defiled? Bartimaeus knew that Jesus, this one, this construction worker, this one that healed people and forgave sins, sat with people like him. He knew that. And it made him louder. Jesus heard him. Listen, Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, sometimes we have this vision of Jesus shuffling through the New Testament with a bit of a miserable face. I'm just being honest, we do. If you're really wrong about Jesus, you think he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. I mean, oh, Jesus like depressed. Walking through Jericho. You need to get that out of your mind. Jesus, if, if people like to hang out with him at parties, he's not going to be somebody, you know, with, with a, a grumpy face and just shuffling through life. I like to think in my mind's eye that Jesus, with a smile on his face, said, Call him. Call him. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. Jesus heard him, Jesus stopped, Jesus spoke, Jesus called. Bartimaeus, this is your day, call him. You see, Jesus had every right to ignore him. Because he was days away from being smashed on a cross. He would have every right to go, oh, not today. Every right to ignore him, but instead Jesus reaches for him. I need to remember that in 2023. Because there are times when I need to remember that Jesus wants to be close to me. That Jesus chose me. He called me. That, and listen to this, that Bartimaeus, listen, was worth his time. And you might have experience in your life where you've just not had that communicated to you. You're just not worth the time. Nobody wants to spend time with you. Can I tell you that Jesus stops? Jesus sees. Jesus speaks. Jesus calls. Today and every day in 2023 that you, like Bartimaeus, are worth his time. Mark 10 verse 51. What do you want for me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Doesn't Jesus know? Of course he knows. Can I tell you, often when a question comes in the Bible, it's more about us asking ourselves the question than God actually needing to know. God knows. But sometimes we actually need to stop and think, actually, what is it that I truly need? What is it that I really want? Have you asked that question as you look into 2023? Have you spent time yet? Do it today where you sit and God, okay, God, this is hard for me to write, but this is what I really want. And there's not going to be one thing on that list that you write that God goes, oh, really? I haven't got time for that. 
Now, don't get me wrong. The answer might come in a different way than you're expecting. And sometimes the answer is no, but that still will be the best for you. But write the list. What is it that you really want? What do you want God to do for you in 2023? And then are you going to start declaring, I believe. I believe. God, help my belief. I believe. Again, not in this, this kind of weird prosperity gospel where you feel you have to repeat scriptures 17 and a half times a day in order to convince God by twisting his arm around his back that he's going to give you something. That's nonsense. But because he's a good, good father who loves his kids, who stops, who sees, who speaks, who calls on the way to the cross, who has time for somebody even like me. He's eager to help. James 4 and verse 2, as we bring this to a stop, you do not have because you do not ask. Ask God. Tonight, there's a, a prayer and worship night at Pursuit. Wouldn't that be a great time to come and just stop and ask God? If you can't make that, then make time today to stop and ask God. Or are we resigned to sitting on the side of the road with our blind spots? Well, the answer is right there. To spend time with the Lord, to enjoy his presence each day. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately you received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, I think there's a lot in that sentence. I'm pretty sure Bartimaeus wouldn't have gone, oh, look at that. Do you know the first thing that Bartimaeus probably saw was the color of Jesus' eyes? seen the face of Jesus. He would have seen the face of Jesus. And I wonder, even today, as we peer and we're going to be singing a song, the worship team can come up. We have this opportunity to look into the face of Jesus. I remember as a young child going to church with my mom and dad, and at the beginning of every service, they would say, they would sing every service. And, and then I was like, oh gosh, now I'm like, that's kind of cool. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light, and I would add in the beauty, in the healing, in the power of his face. And so as we look at 2023, I could have presented to you the worth of doing resolutions and vision and goals. You know what? I think the goal of all goals, the vision of all visions is this year as a church, and we're looking at a year that is bound to be lots of interesting things for us to navigate the unknowns in that window that we could, the best resolution we could make. It's just like I started this sermon and saying, we hold our hands open and we say, Lord, I surrender to you. We depend on you. You are the one that calls and I will answer. But reach out. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Let's sing together. Might be the first time you are here. Might be the first time that you've been in church where something's really landed inside of you. Go, oh, I want this. Please don't go without letting us know. We have connect cards and you can write on the connect card that you're interested in talking to a pastor or becoming a Christian learning more about Jesus, we'd love to take you by the hand and push through the crowd and say, there he is. And that might be you this morning. 
dear Father, I'm grateful for your word, thankful, Lord, that, that we can see ourselves in it. And Lord, we stand before you as a group of Bartimaeus. Lord, we have our blind sides. We have those things that you need to change. And God, we present them to you. Show us this year that we can bring them to you and confess and see breakthrough. Lord, I pray that that we would not in 2023 look to anything else for the answer of freedom, but we'd only look to you. And thank you, Jesus, that you see us, you chose us, you speak, you call, that you have time for us. You love us so much, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to die a horrible death and take the punishment that we know we actually truly deserve for the sin. Thank you, Lord. Then you rose again in newness of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah.